This morning I felt really bad because today we're uh, looking at 1 Peter 3 and the, the subject is Peter's instructions to wives to be subject to your husbands. And so in preparation for that, this morning I was sitting with a cup of coffee Dana was sitting there with her cup of coffee. We're having a beautiful morning. And I decided I would mess with her. And so I looked at her and I said, Dana, she goes, yeah. I said, I would really like you to get to church early this morning and sit on the front row. I want you to have a pen and paper. I really want you to listen to the sermon. She was so sweet. It like ruined the fun. She was like, okay, why? And I said, because it's about wives being subject to husbands. She was like, I think I'm not going to make it because I think I'm going to be sick. (laughs) And I was like, wow, you were being so kind. I feel terrible for my joke now. Anyway, so what in the world is Peter doing when he says such a difficult passage, uh, wives, be subject to your husbands? Well, I think it's very important to remember where he's been over the last couple of weeks. He's been saying to believers, new believers, If you'll imagine believers who have been subject to the emperor, believers who have been subject to their masters or bosses, and believers who are in marriages, all of a sudden they realize Jesus is my emperor, Jesus is my ultimate authority, Jesus is my ultimate husband. Well, then how am I supposed to live? And Peter is helping basically recalibrate their way of thinking. How do you live as believers who are, he calls, strangers in this world, that you thought you belonged, you thought you knew your government, you thought you knew how everything made sense in life, and he says, basically the gospel changes everything, so now let me help you understand how to live in your culture, in these institutions that you find yourself, and the basic instruction has been the same, whether it's to citizens, whether it's to employees, or whether it's to wives, remain subject to those authorities, you find yourself in those human institutions. Stay. Now, as I talk about it today, in particular, it's a very challenge. All of them have been challenging because there's so many caveats, so many, well, what about this and what about that? As soon as I say, wives, be subject to your husbands, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Don't say it out loud, please. It's probably the word, but, and I mean that with one T, not with two, but what about this situation? What about that situation? What if I'm a citizen and you tell me to be subject to the emperor? What if the emperor is not a Christian or not leading us in the right way? I'm a wife subject to in a marriage. What, what if my husband is not obeying the Lord? What if my husband's not a believer? Peter's going to address those. And so I want to just be careful to say there are a thousand different circumstances that you will find yourself in that this text does not necessarily address. If you are being physically abused, I am not telling you to stay there and be abused. Get safe. Protect yourself. If you are scenario, scenario, scenario... I don't want you to take whatever I say in general, what Peter says in general, and think that it applies in very specific circumstances to exactly how you should handle it. The general principle that Peter is laying down, though, I want you to receive it. And that is, in general, know that you are God's priest. You are a member of his royal priesthood. And what is a priest? A priest was one who 
interceded to allow, to facilitate, to, to facilitate humanity's enjoyment of the grace and the glory of God. And so wherever you are right now, the general principle that Peter is laying down to you, if you are in Christ, know this. Manifest the glory and the grace of God right there. Even if it means experiencing some difficulties, some suffering. Caveat, caveat, caveat. But know the general principle that he's laying down and don't dismiss it too quickly. Understand. Now, understand as citizens, there is a place for civil disobedience and done the right way. Daniel in the lion's den. I know as employees, it may be that God calls you to change jobs at times. It doesn't mean you have forever stay there. It doesn't mean wives don't protect yourselves from unhealthy situations. But it just means in all these situations, before... Here's the way I want you to think about this, wives. Let's soften a little bit. Let's not make it the worst case scenario you can imagine. Let's soften it and say, if your husband's not leading you as well as he should, Peter is saying... Here's how I want you to live, and I want you to represent Christ well in that marriage. And so, throughout the text, if I feel like it could be misunderstood, I'll just say caveat, and all that's what I'm talking about, okay? So, in general, wives, I pray that you find encouragement and instruction from Peter this morning on how do I live in a marriage as a believer. Father, we pray for your help. pray that you will bring great wisdom and insight, that you will give hearts to hear your message this morning, that our marriages will be more glorious as a result of our time in your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 1, Peter says, likewise. So he's been saying the general principle, stay where you are as citizens, be the most honorable, conduct yourselves in the most honorable way that others may see your behavior. And when Christ returns, they'll glorify God because you brought them closer to Christ as the way you lived as a citizen. Same with a boss employee relationship. If you are in a workplace environment and the workplace is not the greatest, may the way you live be so honorable that you draw others to know Christ so that on his day of visitation, they praise God. And in a marriage, likewise, verse 1, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word. By the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So again, Peter is in general laying down the same principle that he's had for citizens, for employees, as he is for wives. So wives, if you are married to a husband and he is not being the leader that God's called him to be, he is not obeying the Lord, or perhaps, as it says, he's not a believer. The first thing I want you to know from the text here is that God knows where you are. God understands you are suffering. In fact, he has paid such careful attention that he inspired Peter to write a letter of instructions to you. And so I hope you find comfort in this, because 
It is a terrible place to find yourself to be yoked to an unbeliever or an un, a, a leader of your uh, yoke to a husband who's not leading your family well, who's not obeying the Lord. That idea of being yoked together is a biblical phrase that the Lord uses. And a yoke was this wooden structure that had two places for an oxen to put their neck. Um, wise, I didn't mean to call you an oxen. That was not my intent. But each oxen would put their neck in the yoke and would be fastened together. And when they were pulling in the same direction, it was a very powerful display of strength and, and a much was accomplished. And the Lord says, I am the yoke for a husband and a wife, that they would be yoked together equally. They would pull in the same direction, representing God and doing great things to the, for the glory of God. But if the two weren't pulled in the same direction, if one, especially a stronger oxen physically, was pulling in another direction, it would inflict a lot of pain on the other. That's what it's like for a wife to be yoked to a husband who is ungodly or an unbeliever. It's a very painful situation which will inflict great suffering on her. Well, I want you to first of all be encouraged. God knows your suffering. And not only does he know it, but the fact that he's given you instructions as you likely have prayed many nights, God, what am I supposed to do in this situation? God's giving instructions. And in his guidance, it may not be easy to swallow. It may be countercultural. It may not be hard, easy to, to apply. But at least you can find he, A, knows and cares and loves you. And B, you will find in these instructions great there is great significance in your suffering. There is great purpose in your pain. And I think that is very helpful. I know in my life, if I think I'm suffering for nothing and it's all pointless, that just makes it worse. But if I understand there is purpose in the pain, there is significance in the suffering, it's very encouraging and helps me to persevere. And so I pray that you are strengthened and encouraged that you will be willing to stay in that marriage for the glory of God. Caveat, caveat, caveat. But don't, throw the, the, don't let the caveats throw out the point. Are you willing to follow Jesus Example, to endure some difficulties for the glory of God, though it may be very difficult. Please allow me to suggest some points of clarification about this, these instructions of Peter. First of all, notice Peter limits his instructions. He is not commanding all wives. He is not commanding all wives to be subject to all husbands. He is not commanding all wives or women to be subject to all men. He is commanding wives to be subject to their own husband. So there is no place for chauvinism here. There is, that is not godly. That is not biblical. This is not a picture of an abuse of authority where men are just belittling women and look at them as less. Just as in the cases of 
any other situation that he's already addressed. The citizens are not less intelligent or less value or less gifted than the emperor. Employees are not less intelligent or less value or less gifted than the employer. Wives are not less valuable, less intelligent, or less gifted than the husband. There is no room for male chauvinism in Peter's teaching. Also notice the instruction is not, not to the husband. Peter doesn't say, husbands, submit your wives. That is a recipe for disaster and sin. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. So it's a, it's a choice. It's a voluntary choice that wives must make on their own. They stand before God for accountable for their choice, but they don't answer ultimately to the husband. They answer to the Lord. And so they have to choose, will I obey God's command and subject myself to the leadership of this husband, even though it's not what I want it to be or what God, even God says it should be? Even if I was in a marriage as two unbelievers and, and the wife becomes a believer and now she's married to an unbeliever and there is a lot of pain that is caused by not being equally yoked, will she, she has to make the choice, will I obey the Lord in this situation? So the instructions not to the husband is to the wife. A wife is never to follow, let's remember this as well, a wife is never to subject herself to sin. She's not to follow a husband into sin. A citizen is never to follow their governmental authorities into sin. An employee is never to follow their employer into sin. All of our subjection to other human authorities is ultimately only in obedience to a greater authority to God. And so it would not be... It would make no sense to obey a human authority which would lead to disobeying the ultimate authority of God. But even then, a wife who is trying to obey Peter's teaching, the Lord's teaching, and win her husband over, even when she has to say, Honey, I cannot. I cannot follow you in this. She can do it in a way that Peter says is humble and respectful. I want to embrace your leadership. I want to follow you. But when I look at the scriptures, I believe I would be following you into sin. Let's look at this together. There's all kinds of ways to, to do it. But the idea is, rather than saying you're just an ungodly, unbiblical husband, and I wish you would lead better, I wish you would go to church more and read the Bible, why can't you be like this one or that one? That's not the, the godly way to go about this. Peter says, be respectful with pure conduct. And he already laid the cruciform life as a principle in the prior message, that we, the text we looked at, that we should be like Christ in his crucifixion trials. That when he was treated unjustly and when he suffered greatly, he did not revile in return he did not threaten he said nothing he did not say any word he just submitted to it because 
He knew that God was using it for great gain and great glory. And we've taken that principle and said this is a cruciform lifestyle that God calls all believers to. Whether citizens, employees, or, or marriage, or all of life. That you are a member of the royal priesthood called to be willing to endure unjust treatment so that others might see the manifestation of the grace and the glory of God wherever he has you. That's why we're here. There is no higher calling in life than this. And yes, the culture is going to say, that is foolish. Rise up and get your rightfully treatment. Rise up and get what you deserve is what the world says and Christ says. Endure suffering for the glory of God. Peter's instructions to a wife are to, to a wife who's in a situation where the husband's not leading as he should. Win him over by your respectful and pure conduct. Actions will speak louder than words to your husband. And that's, that's a challenge. In general, it's an overstatement, but in general, women are more gifted at words. Men are cavemen and we just grunt. And God says to women who are more gifted at words, don't use your words so much. Use your conduct. What would your marriage look like if you responded to a poor leadership of a husband like Jesus did at his crucifixion? What if you didn't revile him in return? What if you didn't threaten him? What if you didn't say a word? But by your pure conduct, you endured his failure of leadership with grace and mercy and spirit-empowered kindness. It'd be different. Win them with your conduct. For that is your truest beauty. That's where Peter goes next. Look at verse 3. He elaborates saying, Do not let your beauty or your adorning just be external. The braiding of the hair, the putting of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning, let your putting on your beauty be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty. What a, what a concept. There is an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is, which in God's sight is so beautiful, so precious. This is so counterintuitive. In an age where women are, are told to rise up, assert your strength, be selfish and get what you want. It's a very countercultural message to say, let your inner beauty, the beauty of God's grace working in your humility, in your patient endurance 
of his failures. Let that be the beauty that attracts him to Christ. Now let me clearly say something here. Peter is not instructing wives to let themselves go. He is not saying there's something wrong with, with external beautification. There is not anything wrong with that. With doing your hair and wearing pretty clothes and jewelry, that's, that's great. He's saying that as beautiful as that is, there is a greater beauty. There is an everlasting beauty. There is a deeper beauty. There is a more profound beauty. And that beauty is the beauty of Christ in all his glory, shining through you, wives, as you humbly endure your husband's failures in a gentle and quiet spirit, in a humble, gracious, pure in conduct. It's all about how you respond to your husband's failings. failings. What you, whether your husband knows it or not, the greatest longing of his heart is not your physical beauty. So let me just take that off of you right now as wives. The greatest longing of your husband's heart is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David, King David says in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing I've asked the Lord, just one thing I've asked the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's the deepest desire of every man's soul, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And if you want to to have a powerful impact on your husband's life, it's not going to be with your words. It's going to be with the beauty of the Lord showing through your actions, through your conduct. Husbands, whether you know it or not, this is the deepest longing of your heart. If you feel empty and you're trying to find satisfaction in anything else, the deepest longing of your heart is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To know his glory, the glory, the beauty, the grace of God that shines only ultimately in the face of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Nothing else will satisfy your soul. But wives, you have an opportunity to display that beauty, the the Lord's beauty, through your respect. These are Peter's words. Through your respect through your pure conduct, and through your gentle and quiet spirit. Now be careful, this is not about personality. You don't have to have some preconceived notion of what this godly woman's personality is. This is not a personality trait. This is a grace-enabled trait. This is a gracious Spirit-empowered, enabled suffering where God's grace shines through you and as you prayerfully ask God for help. Praying, God, awaken my husband's soul. 
draw him to yourself. It's so much different than badgering or pestering or convincing or negotiating or begging him or trying to persuade him with your words. It's depending on the Lord to work on his heart as you humbly depend on the Lord to give you the grace to be kind and respectful whether he has earned it or not as Christ has done for you. In verse 5, Peter points to some examples of some women to look at and he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And every wife said, oh no, he's not going to tell me to call him Lord, is he? No, no, we're not. That's just kind of a lost in translation thing. Peter refers to the holy women in the past, and he specifically mentions Sarah, Abraham's wife, and he describes Sarah's submission with another word that's a little hard to understand, obedience. He says, Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, that is not unconditional obedience to your husband like we've seen abuse situations. When we take all the biblical teaching into consideration, we understand obedience is simply understood as following your husband's godly leadership. When you study all of the scripture's teaching on marriage, it's like job descriptions, and in a, it's like a partnership in business. You've got the general partner, and then you've got the limited partner, right? And the general partner has his roles, and the limited partner has roles. They're both equal partners, and without the two, the partnership doesn't exist. But there's got to be a definition of roles. The general partner, here's your responsibility. The limited partner, here's your responsibility. In the marriage, equal image bearers of God there's not one that's better than the other, but here's how it's going to work. Husbands take responsibility. That is your job. Lead your wives towards Jesus. Wives, don't resent that. Don't resist that. In fact, embrace it. That's the job description in the marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Ephesians chapter 5, many other texts make it clear. And all the women are going to come at me afterwards and say, what were those verses you mentioned? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Ephesians 5, round out the instructions for marriage. And they prevent husbands from taking Peter's instructions and leading it to obey, woman. That's dominating the woman and that is not biblical. God has assigned the job descriptions. Husbands, lead your wives. Wives, don't resent their leadership. Embrace it. When it's godly leadership, embrace it. When it's not as good as you'd like, consider how you're acting. Maybe, just maybe, the way you act would draw them closer to Christ. So when your husband fails, try your best to be so honorable and so respectful and so gracious that your husband sees Christ's beauty and is attracted to Christ and is repentant. So how do you do that? It's not just willpower, wives. 
It's not just try harder. It's not just, oh, if I could just tame the tongue. Oh, if it's just, no, there is a spiritual element here. And we see in the women of the past, Sarah, Peter says that they hoped in God. The, the holy women who hoped in God. The only way you wives are going to be able to accomplish this calling is if you are hoping in God. That God is your living hope. As Peter told us about Jesus, he endured the cross by entrusting himself to God. Even Jesus was only able to accomplish his calling because he was continually entrusting himself to God. Wives, continue to entrust yourself to God. Don't lose hope. The Jesus who rose from the grave is the living hope. The Jesus who cast demons out of people is your hope. The Jesus who has shown you he loves you he cares for you he has not forgotten about you he is your hope that your husband will repent you aren't the hope you aren't the savior jesus is so be gracious and display jesus and let him do his thing in his heart keep entrusting yourself to jesus the key word here is depend. Depend on the Lord for the grace you need to carry out this instruction. There's no human way you're going to be able to do it on your own. Peter has one last instruction for wives at the end of verse 6 regarding fear. And you say, well, where'd that come from? Well, trust me, it's a fearful thing to tell a wife to subject herself to a failing husband. He says in you are Sarah's children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter is addressing fear by encouraging you to be like a daughter to Sarah, to keep on doing good, keep hoping in God, keep trusting in God. You don't have to fear because God is faithful, whether he is or not. So put your hope and your trust in the Lord. And now if Peter was consistent his text would end here and he wouldn't say anything to husbands because he said citizens nothing to emperors employees nothing to the employers wives nothing to the husbands wrong he says I, mean, I gotta say something to the husbands and here's what he says step up that's what he says basically in greek you translate it step up not really but basically Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Schreiner translates this literally as, and I agree, husbands, live together with your wives according to the knowledge of God. In other words, fear God as you live with your wife. Step up out of reverential fear of God. Showing, he continues, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Some say that weaker means physically weaker. Maybe so, but I think it means the, the vulnerable vessel who the instruction to her has been to follow you and embrace you. So you better step up 
and honor her. Since they are equal heirs of the grace of life, so that your spiritual life, your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, do you see the responsibility that you have in the job description? God has challenged you and commanded you to step up and lead your family. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been talking to husbands and they say, but she has been following Jesus since she was in middle school. And I'm new to this. And I say, yeah, step up. You would step up if you wanted to learn how to golf. You would step up if you wanted to get good at running. You would step up if your job depended on it. Then step up and figure out how to lead your wife. And here's how it works. You start by saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have not led you as God has commanded me to. I want to lead you well. But I don't really know how. And you are really good at following Jesus. So let's do this together. And I promise you'll say, oh, you've never looked better in your life. Your primary job is this. And I I accidentally found this rhyme in the first service. I, I say God gave it to me. Set the tone in the home. Okay? Set the tone in the home. That's your main job. Is as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Set the tone. We're going to have time in the Word. We're going to follow Jesus. Jesus is going to be supreme in this house. I don't really know how to do all of this. And my wife, God has given me, she's really gifted at it. And I'm going to let her use her gifts. My job is to set the tone. We're going to follow Jesus. She's not going to be dragging me anymore. She's not going to be begging me. She's not going to be struggling with this. I'm going to say, yeah, 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 let's do this. That's your job. Quit making excuses. Quit neglecting it. Do your job. And I promise you'll never be more satisfied than when you behold the glory of God, the beauty of Christ, that way. May the Lord help us. Father God, we ask for your help. We need your help. We continually fall short of this beautiful picture of a marriage. As men, help us to step up and humbly say, this is what I want. I need a lot of help. I pray that men all over the room go home today and say, honey, I am sorry for how I've not led you well. And may they turn to Christ and know that he offers forgiveness and grace and mercy and empowerment going forward. And I pray for wives all over this room who are listening to this online, who are hoping and praying that their husband will say to them that today, that if he doesn't, that they'll not lose hope. Because you never fail. You are the living hope for every wife in this room. May they continue to find the grace in you to be patient and gracious and merciful 
with their husbands, that they just maybe they'll see the beauty of Christ in them and come to Christ. And it's in Christ's beautiful name we pray.